0: back to real seekers i'm your host dale the real seeker and today i have uh, a special treat for you i'm joined by uh, a special guest um paul oops uh paul uh chung uh, i don't know how to pronounce the middle name sorry but uh, yeah well welcome to the show there paul
1: well thank you for uh inviting me so i am looking forward to this conversation wait what is this meetings okay
0: okay awesome uh, yeah it's a, so it's going to be a great show. Uh, you were um, a pastor at our church, a guest pastor uh, mm. f- a few times, at least four times. And um, I was impressed with, with your sermons and that sort of thing. And I wanted to bring you on to kind of share your perspective. Um, you're a, a fellow philosopher and that sort of thing. Um, so I wanted to get your sort of take on you know the existence of god how do we converse with atheists and that sort of thing What what's the relationship between science and religion and all that that good mm. stuff um okay. but yeah i think the the first thing i want to do is obviously the audience is asking okay who, who is this guy so i want to turn it straight to you to give us an introduction as to who you are maybe a bit about your background and mm. if you don't mind uh, share a bit about your faith journey as well
1: okay um that's quite a lot to sort of organize so let me let me figure out uh what to go first um okay so um the Sungo part so my name is paul Sungo jung um and the Sungo part is actually not my middle name that's actually my first name and my legal name paul is like my unofficial name so what happened was that um when i well i can start with that when i published this book so um this is the book right got at the crossroads of worldviews, mm-hmm. I thought um, maybe I should also put my English name, which I usually use as my middle name. And I decided to sort of switch around uh, when I'm speaking to non-Korean audience, you could say. Um, so that's why it's Paul sung jung And that's, that's how you will usually find me and uh, my work. Um, the English name actually has an interesting his, uh, story behind this. So Paul. Uh, so when I was Four years old, right? Four, yeah, that's pretty much four years old. Um, so my my parents are Christians, um, and they they had this massive, uh, very nice picture picture Bible, right? It's uh, it, it, it like very thick, and it had a lot of paintings, and um, and my and my mother used to sort of uh, tell me stories from it, and the paintings were really nice and caught my attention, um, and one night I had a dream and I was four and I saw this man praying and you know, you know how dreams go, right? Sometimes you dream and you just know things that happen in dreams, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I saw this man praying and I knew it was Paul, which was weird because when you're four and when you hear all, all these Bible stories, um, Paul's story is not the most interesting one. It's not the one that remains in your head. For me, it was David, you know, David mm-hmm. uh, taking down Goliath because you're a four-year-old boy. Like, what would you be interested in? Like, you're taking down a giant, not, not some not some guy traveling and speaking, talking about stuff, right? But it says, Paul, I'm like, okay. Then this person, like flying person in a Korean traditional dress, mind you, flying person in a Korean tradi- traditional dress appears and immediately, um, again, because it's a dream, I know it's an angel, which is a weird thing. Like I, I remember thinking this because I'm like, that does not look like an angel that I saw in those picture Bible paintings, right? Because they use Western paintings. Um, I said, it's an angel. And the angel says, points to Paul and says, "That's you. Then I woke up. It's, it's it's a short dream, but it's a very memorable dream, obviously. And I woke up and that was a weird dream. That's the reason why I remember it. it's it wasn't a it wasn't a nice dream. It wasn't like, cool. I was David, I like, slew Goliath or whatever. It's like, that's a weird dream. So I told my parents about it or my mother about it. And she was like, "Uh, and because she likes Solomon, by the way. So Paul, Paul was not, you know, he, he's not the most interesting of characters, at least to little kids and their mothers.
0: That's just so like, oh, sorry. Yeah, go just ahead. Not to interrupt at all. Uh, but it's just interesting what you say there, because I, I think it's so true. But it, it's interesting for me as an adult, I was mm-hmm. asked on a podcast who I thought the most interesting character is. And I would say, I said, Paul, I, I, mm. I, but that's as an adult, but yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and obviously I would think so too, because I'm <laughs> now using the name, but, but that dream sort of stayed with me in, in the back of my head. So when, um, when I was trying to choose my English name, when I was, because I was, um, my family immigrated to Canada when I was uh, very little, uh, my grade school, basically. And uh, I was asked, like, what What do you want your English name to be if you ever bother to get one? That is, um, and I said, if I if I get it, it would be Paul, because you know that dream is kind of interesting now that I'm like a little bit older. But there were there were too many Pauls like that. I, I don't like. I want a very, uh, what's the word? Uh, I want names that other people don't use because if I use a name that other people have, um, like Paul, and, and I, have, I had friends named Paul as well. And if someone said, Paul, I don't want like both of us to turn and look. So that was the reason why I didn't use that name until several years ago when I when I published the book. So, so that's the story behind my name. And that should also give you an idea of my family background. Namely, I'm from Korea or my, at least my family's from Korea. Um, my parents are Christians, uh, and I heard a lot of, you know, biblical story as a child, um, that sort of thing. Um, what can I say about myself other than that? Um, well, here's, here, here are the boring stuff, but hopefully relevant stuff. So if you go and look up my, so I have a podcast series. Mm-hmm. Um, so podcast series, uh, what do you mean God speaks? Let me see if I can look it
0: up for you show rather than tell So it's in the um it's in
1: you know your normal platforms like ah, can you oh, see uh,
0: move move yeah uh move it up okay yeah. there you go what do you so, mean bud speaks
1: so what do you mean? God speaks, right? So uh, you can find it on Google plat, um, Google, uh, Spotify, uh, especially Apple, uh, for some reason. Um, so that's where you can find it. Uh, what do you mean? God speaks uh, uh, podcast series and what's in? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so there it. All, um I also describe myself as because you also need to say like who you are when you when you do a podcast. Uh, so um, I. Let's see, I I have taught at university, so I'm a lecturer. I've been an an adjunct professor, uh, mostly at the University of Toronto, uh, where I taught courses like science and Christianity, uh, theology, like um, I taught um, a course on basically theology of evangelism um, recently, um, science and Christianity at St. Michael's College, Uh, Christianity and Culture, not at U of T, but uh, at Tyndale, and that was several years back. Um, And uh, my actual field of study is in philosophy of religion. So um, it could, if if I go in the theology route, you'd be philosophical theology. Um, More secular route, you'd be philosophy of religion. And that's uh, where I wrote this book, which I showed you before, God at the Crossroads of Worldviews. and uh, I speak and preach at different churches uh, which is what you mentioned and that was one of the reasons why uh, I was at your church uh, for it's it's not like I sort of put myself up on the board so that people like find me it's it's more like uh, apparently just people kind of find me by word of mouth um, that hey there's this guy and he he has Sundays off usually and you can you can ask him to come and come and speak at your church and And that's usually how um, um, these different people in churches find me and get me to um, speak there and stuff. So that's, that's what I do as, can you say a job more or less? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, so that's what I do. Um, Okay. About faith stuff. Um, That's a pretty good segue. Um, When I, when I talk about On my book, God at the Crossroads of Worldviews, uh, because there's a bit of a history behind that too, right? So um, when I began my university studies, uh, I very consciously sort of wanted to look at all the other worldviews. Very specifically, I went on um, various, uh, because atheism, by the way, is not like like, like a single worldview. And I, I know there are number of atheists want to say it's like we don't actually have a worldview but no no you have a worldview it, but but you just have like many different versions of worldviews and atheism is more like a, a family of different kind of worldviews you can have a scientific naturalist uh, a very specific bent on that you can have uh, more of a humanist communist is like one version which has lost a lot of credibility in the last 30 40 years but that's like again one version so you have different versions um I looked into um, Eastern philosophy, so uh, East Asian philosophy, uh, and also Buddhism and Hinduism and those those kinds of things, uh, like in, in a very general sort of way. And you, one of the reasons why I did that was because um, I was a skeptic during my university years. Um, and um, I mean, for a good reason, Like, you, when you start asking questions, you, you're like, okay, um, I don't really know whether whether there is God and I don't know whether there are very good reasons for it and a lot of the reasons people normally give uh, aren't terribly convincing and and I don't know what to do when there's that issue between science and science and religion science and Christianity uh, all of these uh, ethical and moral questions that also come up like what do you do with all of those and uh, I was a I was more or less a skeptic uh, for at least a couple of years but I was what I would call a sympathetic skeptic Um, and I think that's a very important thing by the way Um, when so you you can be a different kinds of skeptics by the way Um, you can be the kind of skeptic that's very corrosive you know what I mean it's it's like you you just put down other views and other thoughts without actually like like going through it Um, then you or you can be a skeptic that says well I, I can't like, the, you, you haven't really convinced me, and I don't know whether your case is really good or not, but uh, let me think about it, and, and let me try to understand uh, where you're coming from and why some of these things might make sense to you or, or might be convincing in certain contexts. So, when, when you do that, you are still skeptical, but you are also trying to understand and that's a that's a very key distinction and i think that's a virtue that um, people in not only skeptics but you know people with any different positions and and religious views or irreligious views should have so that's what what, what i try to be i don't know whether i was terribly successful i hope i was um, but anyway as i was looking through these different positions and views again and and rethinking the kind of um, faith and you can say tradition um, that I had from from my family, because Korea is one of those very interesting places where you have uh, multiple sort of of religious and philosophical traditions from all over the world sort of converging and and having like very strong presence. So it's one of those few Asian countries that have a very very strong presence of Christianity, but also a very strong presence of Buddhism and Confucianism and yeah. and secularistic uh, a modern sci- even scientism like that they, they're all there. So that's that's a very interesting combination. So um, and we had uh, from my family did that Christian sort of strand as well. So I was taking that in and. And from my experience, uh, when I sort of reclaimed uh, that Christian faith, and some of the we, some of the ways that I did it were through, um, you know, philosophical reflection, you could say. Uh, some of the other ones were more uh, experiential. So um, I don't think we have the time to get into it, but uh, I, I've I've seen stuff, right? Um, you could say I've seen uh, like a minor versions of some. Uh, how should I put it you know how some like some crazy stuff happens in the bible now and then and you're like wow um now does that does that ever happen now right yeah um, and I've, I've seen minor versions of it so and I, I had to thought think through
0: this because I'm, I had to go um like what? What are you? Are you talking like miracles? Are you talking visions or something? Or like what do you mean? Well, I, well, I can talk about visions.
1: Um, that there were vision stuff. There were um, because Korea also have a Korean Christianity also um, has this uh, strong charismatic bent to it. Um, I mean, obviously, charismatic movement is like everywhere in the world. In fact, charismatic sort of uh, charismatic dimension of Christianity is probably the most vibrant. Uh, so far, uh, at least as of now, uh, in in Christianities across the world, um, in Korea, because uh, I believe, because I'm I'm not a specialist in in any sense sense of the word on on Korean Christianity. By the way, it's this is more like uh, osmosis. I I, I took um, it in from yeah. from um, what happened around my around the people that I know. Anyway, um, so from what I know, um, there was a very Strong sort of a charismatic revival from the Protestant side of Christianity in Korea around 1960s and 70s, um, which probably fueled uh, churches like mega mega churches like like uh, what was the, what was the name Full Gospel Yeiro Church, um, and it, it it has its ups and downs. By the way, it has different controversies surrounding it. But one other thing that came uh, came from it was that. Um, People expected the possibility of incredible things happening, and the possibility of stuff like prophecies and visions. And but on the other side, here I, here I am uh, from a more skeptical bent and more uh, you know critical thinking bent. So I, I would I would sort of um, examine some of my experiences, saying, "Well, could, could could this be that? Could this be this?" So. Um, what's what's uh what's what's an example can i tell without weirding people out huh here's one okay here's one um so um my father was uh, called into a ministry when he was like 50 years old so he, he he was just like a normal business person uh he he like owned a store uh he then uh, like became an employee in a business and all that and one day when he was he had this prayer retreat like literally um he had this uh god spoke to him and if you if you're wondering like what, what does it even mean for god to speak to people uh check out my podcast that's that's why it's called what do you mean god speaks uh, where i examine like all of these different sort of um Wait. statements right and and we try to figure out like what what all those things mean. Anyway. Um, so I don't have time to go into that. I can just say, like, he felt that God spoke to him saying, like, I want you to go into ministry. And I was, I was in that skeptical stage then, but sympathetic skeptic, right? So, so I, I, I sort of listened in and, and tried to figure out what was happening. And, he came, and he, like, he, he came back from the retreat, and it was a very strong experience. But at the same time, he was thinking, but I'm the sole breadwinner for this family. And my son is now in, like, university and, like, tuitions. Uh, I was paying my own tuitions, but, you know, like, oh, wow. you still need support, right? Um, and my younger brother was about to go into university, and he's going to need support. So, um, so he, was, he was reluctant, and he, like, very frankly, didn't want to do it. He gets a call. He gets three different calls on the same day. Um, and these three different people did not talk to each other because I, I, I checked it. I'm like, uh, did they talk to each other? Is that why they're calling you like on the same day? It's like, no, they, they called them separately on the same day. And they said, um, we, were, we were praying and we suddenly had the strong feeling to call you and says, God is calling you to ministry. Even though like he's, he's 50 years old and he's, he's a businessman and doesn't know theology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to really think about um is it, like what happened it was was there some sort of a like psychic link or something? why is that happening so so we did what we normally would do in that situation. We shelved it we we shelved it, and one other thing that we said was um or he said because like I was just an observer um he said um." I need to go into like a seminary and i'm a first generation immigrant i'm i i can't I like i'm not very great at english um and uh, we we are we are having enough trouble as it is making do with life right um how am i gonna pay for a seminary by the way seminary tuition especially if it's not something like u of t like tyndale is is not a public university at least at, yeah and that means tuition is like a double the amount of what you would normally find in uh, more public university settings. So he's like, I can't, I can't, I can't pay for something like that. And it it would be even worse if he has to say, go to Korea, where he can use his native language uh, to go to a seminary, because then, you know, another country, much more expensive. So he said, I I, I can't do something like that. Uh, So we shelved it for a week. And a week later, this lady comes to him. uh, And she said, you're going to think I'm crazy. Because because she she knew my mother she uh, uh, she was mm-hmm. like uh, uh, what's what's the word um, I, I know in I know in Japanese and in Korean senpai in Japanese uh, so older o- older classmate you could say like a year or two um, like same school you know what I mean anyway mm-hmm. she said I, I know you uh, uh, because she knew my mother and she and my mother didn't want to marry a pastor and that's one of the reasons why she married my father mm-hmm. uh, so. She, she said, so I, I, thought, I, I thought this was crazy, but I was praying and, and I had this strong feeling that God was calling you to ministry. And, and I know you have nothing to do with ministry, which is why it sounds crazy. But then God, like, pushed me even further saying, because she, she, she was on the wealthier side, she said, pay for his tuitions for the seminary. Hmm. And I thought that if I said something like this, because, okay, for those of you who are, who are more on the skeptical bent, and you, you hear like Christians say, say these stuff, um a lot of us aren't the crazy types all right we don't go around thinking oh like um yeah. uh, we can do mir- like when when stuff like this happens we freak out as well all right well some do that there are some christians who uh who do weird stuff for doing weird stuff but for for most normal christians when when stuff like this happens we freak out too all right it's Let me that. To... oh go ahead
0: yeah. i was just gonna i was just gonna add like it's important to know Look. What... So, some christians are the most skeptical people there are christians it's good for christians to be skeptical as well like, mm. it's not like the it's not like only atheists can be skeptics and stuff no we we need to be critical thinkers as well i just i just wanted to add that but um, yeah i i
1: mean uh, even biblical examples you you go through the bible and 90 percent of the time the the people there who like experiences these things they freak out take moses god says Go, um, uh, like uh, I'm sending you to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt, and Moses is the one that says uh, he's, he's the biggest voice of uh, protest and and negativity. It's like no, I can't do that. You, you, you're well. God's not crazy, but like you shouldn't send. At the at the very least, you shouldn't send me, right? So anyway, she she's like you, you're going to, you're going to think crazy, but. And I thought I was crazy. And I thought I was just hearing things. So I, so I, I knew it for like a week, but it kept coming. So I, I just want to get this over with. Um, is God calling you to ministry? Because he's been telling you to, God's been telling you to pay for your tuition. And that was that was the point that um, my father became too scared not to go to a seminary, mm-hmm. right? So, um, that probably is the most straightforward example that i can think of in in all all of the stuff that i've sort of observed right Mm -hmm. so so i had this um experiential side where where i I see stuff that you like the minor versions of the kind of things that happens in the bible you could say um and i went through these different worldviews, and and i sort of like put these together, and that's one. That's one way I reclaimed. Um, you could say my my Christian journey. Gotcha. Uh, that, by the way, was a massive, massive oversimplification. But that's we don't have ten hours, so that's that's where I'm gonna stop. Um, but one other thing that uh, that happened out of it was um, this notion of seeing different worldviews simultaneously. Um, because remember, I, I studied different worldviews, I tried to get into their mindset, but I was also skeptical. Then I also became Christian. So you have all of these things sort of like running around in my head. And one other thing that I realized was, was that um, people who have different worldviews, they have them for a reason, right? If I mean, if you listen to some of the uh, less thoughtful sort of discussion between people of rival uh philosophical or religious or even political positions um you would think that you know people on each side think the other side are like either totally totally ignorant or stupid or Mm -hmm. or evil like like straight out like listen to some of the political debates and it, it really sounds as if they think the other side are like they're just evil yeah. or completely ignorant and my experience uh when i went through these views are i mean to be sure there are there are very ignorant and there are very um toxic kind of people on different different sides of the issues like that's obviously but when you when you think about when you think about these as a whole people who hold certain positions they they also hold them because they thought through things mm-hmm. If you uh, have a scientific, like naturalist atheistic position, right? Um, because as, as I said, many different versions of atheism, um, there are there, there is a way that you have constructed your position so that it makes sense. But same thing about Christianity. So what happens when when these two come together? Well, uh, well, they argue, obviously, and they have they have one side of their own philosophical set of arguments. Uh, the other side of their philosophical set of arguments, and they tend to talk past each other. And one of the reasons is that um, concepts don't quite match. Um, What's a good example of putting it? When I was doing my master's thesis uh my, my book is actually it's, it's it began from my PhD thesis so th- this was before I started doing this um I was doing my master's thesis and uh, we got into a like one my my secondary sort of reader for the for the thesis and I sort of got into an argument and and I still think I'm right <laughs> which is why I then wrote the book um
0: mm-hmm.
1: based on my view and this was the argument he uh I was I was pointing out that um people with different views have very different way of like conceiving and perce- like literally perceiving the world and, and conceptualizing things and his point was like well no well like trees like like look outside trees like trees are trees right mm-hmm. and my position at which if I were to articulate it now and I was trying to articulate it then but I was a student and he was a mentor so there was a bit of a uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so if I were to speak about it in more detail now, it's it's no. Uh, yes, trees are trees, but at the same time, trees mean different things. They can. They can. They. they there's a larger concept that goes into how people perceive trees. So. For some of us, look, we look at trees and it's like it's a nice tree. Like we sit under its uh, shade and and great and all that. Then there are people who like tie strings and like colored papers on the string um, on the trees because they think it's sacred and it has spiritual power. Obviously, those two trees are not the same tree. There are people that cut the trees because they want lumber out of it, and then there are people who uh, people who tie themselves to those same trees, saying can you can't cut these trees, right? um the the more environmentalist types right for them i mean trees are trees but at the same time they mean different things they 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 occupy different places and they they are in they're connected with different kind of concepts and ideas and if you want to understand even a simple thing as like look outside and see a tree then when you get into concepts like god which is about as comprehensive and as Big as you can actually get in any worldview, then, then people often don't think about it. To say, think about it in in the same way, at least uh, in such a way that when they talk about and debate about God, um, they tend to talk past each other because they don't really have the same concept. And that's where the book comes from, uh, which is uh, the title. Um, that's where the title comes from, which is God at the Crossroads of Worldviews, where I basically argue that uh, the, the biggest, the, the main reason why for the past 500 years, uh, in the, at least in the West, uh, because that's where the arguments and the debate was happening. Yeah. Um that we haven't really made any significant progress uh, in the debate about whether God exists is because um, we don't take enough account of the larger worldview context in which this concept of God sits. And if you want to have a fruitful discussion and debate, you need to bring like separate worldviews together because worldviews tend to be a journey, okay? don't have time to explain all of that. Uh, Check out my podcast or the book. Uh, So you need to bring two journeys of a worldview together, Mm -hmm. make up a, a sort of find the crossroad and then, and then conceptualize God, like try to figure out an understanding of God from the, from the crossroad of these, these different worldviews. And if I were to put that in a very simple way, uh, it's sort of like translation. You are translating one concept, in this case, a a worldview, to another. And even when we use the same language, in this case, English, uh, when you have separate worldviews, um, it's almost, it's sort of like speaking in different languages. So you need to translate one concept to the other in ways that this concept now makes sense to the other side. And once you do that, you can start speaking to each other and hopefully get at least a little further ahead than where we've been you know uh been able to do so far so yeah. wow, well, i've been sort of rambling but that that's uh-huh. that's the background of what i do and perhaps uh what goes into my faith and and all of those things
0: yeah awesome yeah i i, I hear what you're saying um i i've experienced that my fans have experienced it as well i used to skeptics and seekers and it it Mm. really felt like we were just kind of banging our heads against the wall talking past each other and that sort of thing so uh, I want to kind of ask you 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 did a a podcast um, on like how do we relate to each other when we have these disparate worldviews how do we connect and Mm. most people just think well tolerance you know that I tolerate okay you've got this weird view about the tree I disagree with it but I'll, I'll tolerate your disagreeing view and you're kind of arguing there that look, tolerance alone is not enough. We, we mm. need more. So, yeah, like, do, do you want to go into that? Like, yeah, what's your take on that?
1: So, uh, that's the that's a second that's that's the second episode of my first season uh, where I say um, uh, why we need to aim higher than tolerance, and my argument there was, um, and one of the sort of like the fueling emotion behind that episode was um that was 2020 so that was when the crazy stuff were happening down in the states uh, do you have people listening in from the uh, from the u.s by the way uh majority of
0: the audience is u.s yeah
1: wow okay so hello from canada but um um i'm sorry to be blunt but stuff that was happening at the end of 2020 and beginning of 2021 that was crazy like when, when we saw like when i when i saw the january 6th stuff happening i'm like wow uh yeah as as a canadian i have to say that 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 stuff looks crazy so uh what was behind the emotive force behind that episode was that um increasingly our society don't know how to talk to each other Mm -hmm. uh at least people who have radically different views and uh, one of the culprits, because there are many, many different culprits, right? Uh, but one of the culpr- culprit that uh, that I can point to was this idea that like we just need to be tolerant. And my answer was, no. Uh, why? Because tolerance is, I think I called it, it, it's a failed virtue. And by that, I don't mean that it's um, it, tolerance is a bad thing to have. Um, I mean that historically speaking, tolerance is a result of a failure of set of higher virtues. So what was happening was that, um, during the, during the enlightenment, um, um, people were killing each other for, for religious and and ideological differences. Um, and, uh, one of the stuff that happened was that, um, even if we disagree, we shouldn't kill each other. That, that, that was, that was the conclusion, which was like, great, great. That's, that actually is a very helpful conclusion when you've been actually killing each other. So, um, the, the, the American idea of tolerance, for example, and the European idea of tolerance, it was precisely that. Uh, sh- we should have freedom of religion, um, basically. Um, if you believe, and, and this wasn't even like freedom of religion between Christianity and say, Buddhism is <laughs> more like uh, Protest- Protestant Episcopalian Christianity and Protestant uh, Baptist Christianity and Anabaptist Christianity. OK, so if you have different different versions of Christianity, Maybe not kill each other. That that was tolerance. But what that means is that because uh, virtues such as you know love and and understanding and and care and and forgiving your enemies and all all of those virtues failed, uh, people said, "Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. We shouldn't kill each other or persecute each other if you have different views." And and that was tolerance. That 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 was that was like the rock bottom in which. Like if you dig any further, you're 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 going to hell, basically. like that's it, it's going to be hell on earth. So that's a that's a good thing that we we've established the bottom line. but if if that's it, then there will come a point where it won't be enough. Um, particularly because uh, what happens if, uh, say, you come to believe that other side is, actually extremely and dangerously ignorant like dangerously ignorant and and evil right that that's what you think then then should you be tolerant because uh then you are, the tolerance sort of principle exists so that we don't harm each other but if they are actually harmful then should you be tolerant right and what's missing is well if i want to be like a bit sappy about it but i don't it's it's not actually sappy it's it's uh christian Uh, it's it's the virtue of love and what does love entail and and we can get into that from um well you can actually check out the episode but to put it in a general um very generally speaking it's it's not a sentiment uh what what it means is that make the effort to reach out to the other side and get into their shoes and get into their thinking and understand where they're coming you don't need to agree obviously and you you can be aware that there are people who really are terrible that's okay but generally speaking, try to really understand and think about the other side and 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 that takes effort because we think just just listen to what they say and and you know think critically it's like no no that's not enough not when you have different worldviews because remember world um when I, if if what i'm saying is true then how they organize different concepts and beliefs and how they perceive things they're they are different it's, it's like the language is different what's the example that i gave in the episode right here's an extremely simple example uh so during the cold war well, the Cold War um, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, and and you know the West in general, um, the Soviets, uh, Khrushchev, I believe, uh, said something like, uh, and, and and the context was there they were going into a nuclear arms race, and Khrushchev basically said, uh, you, you know, you, you capitalist West, uh, we will bury you, right? And and that was the that was what he said, and that was how he was translated, and the West basically took that as. You know, because it sounds very gangster, right? Like i'm I'm gonna bury you. like what what do you think about that? It means like, I'm going to kill you. i'm going' I'm going to I'm going to level, level the field, and, oh, look, we just developed nuclear weapons. And that was that was well, that's a content, right? But if you understood the background beliefs and and the wordings and meanings um, that's under the surface, which is where you need to get to, uh, what, what he was trying to say was that uh, there's this, this communist uh, metaphor which said um, the capitalist system is self-destructive and uh, and it will destroy itself so that uh, we the communists will basically have to be there at the fu- funeral of you capitalist West and you know, we will have to bury it because you you would have died and and we, we will be like your uh, grave diggers uh, because like we need to take take care of your corpses and stuff right so it's it wasn't Yes, it was naive because one that one that got buried was was the was the communist countries, but um but at least what, what he was trying to say wasn't as belligerent as people thought. It, it it meant something else, but you can't figure that out unless you understand the entire background and you understand where they're coming from, and then you can understand even simple sentences like we will bury you. So what happens when you when you are speaking with people with radically different views about something much 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 more complicated? Well, you need to speak the language it, like in, in that sense you you need to know what it is like to think like them and and make basically and and figure out a crossroad and if you do that, then, well, one, one thing that can happen is that if you do that, and if you can, if you know what it is like to think like them and, and get into their positions, then you can also discern the, the the good version of their positions and the more toxic versions of their position, because you will, you will be able to tell the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just like if you are, say, a Christian, you'll be able to tell the difference between, hopefully, um, tell the difference between people who among Christians who are more christ-like or at least people who are trying to follow christ and people who are just like faking it you know what i mean like be, be, they, they say the right stuff like they, they they will listen they will parrot the right stuff but you you see how they like form their actions and and word things and and do things and you if you actually are you know uh, are steeped in that christian journey uh, you are better able to tell the toxic and, and the, even a fake version of, of Christianity. I mean, more at least. And it, it's it's a similar it's a it's a similar sort of principle. Yeah. So once you do that, you can you can tell. And if you can do that, you can have a more fruitful conversation. So um, that's what I mean. If it's if if you just stick with tolerance. You never get past that bottom level, final sort of like line in the sand. Uh, and you you just won't, because tolerance don't make you reach out. Yeah. It's, it's love and care and curiosity and, and passion for truth and all of that. That makes you reach out. So that's what you need. And that's what I mean when I say uh, we need to aim higher than tolerance
0: gotcha awesome yeah i I think that makes perfect sense you know like uh, it's part of being loving you want to have an in-depth understanding and help that Mm -hmm. individual to speak the same language and to understand and stuff like that and i'll I'll confess i'm sometimes i myself have been guilty of not doing that and just saying well at least i tolerate tolerate you kind of thing so we need to get past that at times so yeah i think that was well said
1: it's Uh, it's a tough thing to do right it's 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 a tough thing to do from all sides. And I mean, if from the Christian perspective, that's why you need the grace of Christ, right? Because if you don't have the grace of Christ, and if you don't have his, his like encouragement, and like really command to love your enemies, and you you meet up with people who like really, really like push your buttons, like (laughs) in what they said, then, then, then why should you? Why should you do anything more than tolerate? them, Right? So, so that's the task, really. That's that's the challenge and and a call and and things that we often fail at, but we don't want to fail at too much because then you get into um then you get into civil war, really. So,
0: yeah. Well, well, that's that's an interesting aspect because the the last question that I wanted to ask about, kind of like how we engage, how we interact, is mm. okay. Well, let's let's say we are we do become discerning in this way, and we do discern. Look, the the person that we're engaging with um they really don't care about truth that they, they've got their own agenda they're they're the toxic type okay uh, how do we handle that Should, do we continue to try to detoxify them or do we just part ways like what, what do we do with a toxic person we're engaging with
1: well um i would advise a couple of things one thing is um Maybe be careful to label someone as toxic. I mean, you can't if, if that person really does act in a very toxic way, then that's how it is, and and you can't pretend that he's he or she or whoever that they're they're not acting otherwise. Uh, but leave enough of an opening in our own hearts that maybe we we don't we don't see what we should be able to see. So what i mean is that um even if if even if we sort of respond and maybe step away uh keep an eye open so that if we actually have made a mistake then about that person then we will be able to um recognize that mistake sooner right anyway so putting putting that caveat first Mm -hmm. um When you have a conversation uh, and you want this to be a fruitful conversation and, and we want to edify each other, and, and, and it, that's true even if, if say, people believe, and especially true if people believe very, very different things, but um, I mean, spiritually edifying um, as a Christian, um, then one other thing that we may want to ask is, when we converse, are we edifying each other or are we just looking for a fight? Right. And sometimes some people are just looking for a fight and they want to take people down. And I would say, then don't fight. Right. Yeah. And so, and so if one other thing that we can do is, okay, if we are not, we are not, we are not really trying to think together and, and we are getting, we like our conversation is de, um, like devolving into, Uh, ad hominems like like basically insults and 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 like memes like really mean sort of internet memes right Uh, and if that's what we are doing then um then we're not really getting anything we're not really building anything we're like you're getting toxic i'm getting toxic um destroying
0: each other yeah yeah
1: i mean if you're just joking around that's fine but then that's that's what we should be doing we should just joke around um we, we shouldn't pretend that this is something else like we shouldn't pretend that this is like oh we are we are trying to argue for like that come on be serious that's not what we're doing uh, we're trying to destroy each other and and we are not interested in that that that's not what i'm interested in so uh we're gonna do something else <laughs> i don't know play games <laughs> um but But if that person is so toxic that that person just wants to come after you and just do that thing, then, then, uh, and if that's the case, walk away because, well, what's going to come out of that interaction other than feelings of murder? And that's, um, well, um, there, there are so many other things that you could be doing, right? That's, that's more fun, really. Um, let alone more fruitful and more edifying and all that, so that's one option, but remember the first caveat stands, which is um, always be open to thinking that maybe you've misunderstood but but if it is harming you, like even with that misunderstanding aside, I'm just gonna step away and and get out of this place where we're trying to kill each other spiritually so so let's do that so that that would be that would be my take on it awesome
0: awesome all right well said um all right cool so i want to transition into kind of the main essence right so your your kind of thing the the relationship but you know what what is god and that sort of thing so let's look at the debate between god and atheists and the first thing i want to ask you because you have kind of a unique perspective so in the first place who and what is god in your view hmm. um and then follow up with, okay, well, what possible role does God play today? But, you know, we're in the modern scientific age. We don't need God for, for anything and stuff like hmm. that. So, yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, that's an interesting sort of way that you've sort of phrased a question, like who and what is God? Like, because one is a person, like you, 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 you're conceptualizing God as personal, and what is that's that's a very impersonal conceptualization. So, um, and I, I take it uh, I, perhaps perhaps you're getting that from the from the episode you might have listened to. So again, a plug in. My uh, what do you mean, God speaks? Uh, what what you're asking is sort of it gets delved into it from the first episode uh, where it says like why they why is there no job for God? That's more or less what the title is. Um, So my approach is basically, um, we live, so that's including Christians, uh, in most modernized countries. So modernized, uh, um, secular, uh, and they they include either Western or even westernized countries like Japan and South Korea. Um, uh, Please alarm. There's a police station nearby. Uh, nearby my house. It sounded like
0: a whistle. I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> okay.
1: So, uh, so it, in in those societies, uh, there's a sort of a background, and it's a worldview. It's a background, sort of a worldview or family of worldviews uh, that sort of overlaps, and um, and the, and the way that we see it is uh, something like this. So th- there's a world. And we can scientifically understand this world or universe however you call it um, um, this universe cosmos that we can scientifically understand uh um the the cosmos and and its laws and principles all of that and and um there's us and we have our you know our moral sort of intuitions perhaps because there are people who also believe that maybe there is no such thing as morality but um but you know we have. Uh, for most of us, we think there they are sort of these uh, the, this moral sense and moral values. We have all of that, and and then you have these uh, religious people, sort of sort of like plugging God at the top. And the question is like, do we really need to plug this being, this entity at the top when when we can sort of see the world and our world sort of functions and goes along its merry way without having to plug this entity at the top? Uh, like, do we, Is he's sort of like he's sort of like a CEO at a company. Who doesn't do anything like he's like an honorary ceo he's, he's there and it's like he's the ceo but but everything is being done by the by the workers and the and the um and the staff and 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 managers and all of that so so like why do we have him um and that's because we haven't translated the concept of god as uh as this concept that's traditionally formulated in in Christianity into a concept that fits not even fits uh, how should I put it we haven't we haven't actually proposed uh, an actual translation of the concept uh, for 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 our context so that's that's how I diagnose the problem really. Um, So what do I mean? Um, in Christianity, for example, in well, in most monotheistic um, um, religious traditions, uh, various Christian traditions, Jew- uh, Judaism, and I-, I believe Islam as well, but Islam I'm less familiar with, so I'm, I'm, that's a conjecture. Uh, God is not some sort of an so we don't conceive it as like there's a, there's this world and. And, and, then, then, and then there's this really, really powerful entity somewhere in the world. Like we, that's, that's not how at least Christian theology uh, has conceptualized God. Um, God's central and core. So what, how, how would that actually work uh, in the modern sort of scientific, uh, vaguely scientific, uh, vaguely secularistic context? Uh, I, I did it this way. Um, here's a translation. And it's a very rough translation, but it's actually a translation rather than like this concept that's out there. I mean, we don't know. We don't actually know what it's what it's about. And we just imagine what it means. Like, here's a translation. Um, God is not like this entity that we just sort of put it at the top. It's God is reality. And by that, I don't mean like the universe is God's. Yeah. I mean, I mean in a much more fundamental and, and comprehensive sense. Um, so how should I how should I explain it? Okay, think about how we use the word reality. By the way, this that, that's how translation works. Um, when you when you have very different languages. So I speak Korean fluently. By the way, and English, uh, English being my preferred language. But I speak or I, I'm good enough in Korean that I can I can watch those Netflix shows. I haven't watched Squid Game, by the way, if people are asking. Uh, but I can watch those Korean TV shows or or read the webtoons in in original language like naturally. Anyway, so, and what's interesting is that uh, I can read the English translations of these Korean things and I can read the Korean and and find discrepancies. And most of the discrepancies come uh, this way. Uh, Words, when you want to really translate the words uh, uh, really, really well, you want to know more than just the meaning of that specific word. Uh, you want to know how the word is used in daily life really like you want to know how the word is used in, in the larger context in multiple different contexts and settings and then you want to be able to see how that word was used in that specific context and then translate the word into a, uh, in, into a word that has same sort of usage right so that's that's how you translate. so, In the in in contemporary settings, um, in at least in it, when we think about the word reality in a more philosophical sense, um, we use the word in a certain way. So here's what I mean. Um, so what I mean is, um, I don't mean reality in, in, in this sense when people say you need to be realistic. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, why are you aiming? Why are you aiming to? Uh, I don't know. What's what's the big one? Why are you getting out of university and you cushy uh, like cushy? Like planned out future and and setting up a tech company and say this happened in the 2010s and I was like what what's what's a tech company like uh, uh, Google Google like why are you doing that it's unrealistic right and that's not that's not that's not what I mean by the word because what then happens is that. Um, it might not have been, it might not have seemed realistic, but what actually happened, what really happened, that's where the word comes What really happened was that that was a wonderful choice. Um, it's Google really changed the world. That's how reality unfolded. So that's that's what I mean. Um, we use reality in, in the sense, um, Anything, like anything that you do, even like the dreams that you have and the visions that you have and stuff that's right now only like in possibilities and, and you're trying to realize that you're still interacting with reality, really, like you're trying to make things real and all of that. When, when you're in the sciences and you're, you're studying the cosmos and you're studying nature and all of that, in, in the broadest possible sense, you're engaging with reality. In a very particular way with a very particular sort of concept set of conceptual tools which are, which happen to be very precise using very specific sort of. Language you could say uh, mathematics is sort of like a language in that it, it it can describe things right so. That's what you're 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 engaged with reality reality holds all of these different possibilities and not only that when we do stuff you can say. Um, things don't always. You know unfold and comes out the way like we imagine because there's our thoughts and there's reality and that's that's what you're being measured against. So in that sense, reality is like the judge of our actions. Uh, we don't we, we don't get to hundred percent decide what will happen. It's our engagement with reality that does that. So the way that we relate to reality in all of these different contexts is how Christians and the Jews and very likely the Muslims cons- describe their relationship with God, and this is where the this is where the very 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 old traditional uh, theological formulation of God comes in, where it says God is, um, and this is like fifteen hundred years old that this formulation and and the and it's based on even older sort of uh, thoughts, right? So, um, God is being itself. God is truth itself. And God is goodness itself, and this is where um, sometimes people say. You might have heard this. Um, some people say, uh, you're, you're, "You say you don't believe in God and you're atheist, but you're not. You, you're not really an atheist because you do believe in God because you do believe there is truth and you do believe there is, you know." Yeah existence yeah. right and and atheists get really annoyed at this because they're like look don't tell me what i believe because like i know i don't believe in god and and yes i believe in truth and yes i believe in like reality and yes i believe there's like morality um at least in some sense but that doesn't mean that i believe in god and 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 the and the disconnect comes from this um atheists consider um god as like this like grandfatherly entity, maybe they don't. They say like we don't have this like imagery of that. But really, when you boil it down, like there's this entity who just happened to be very powerful and 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 command things to us. Whereas the the traditional formulation is something like anything real, like reality in the most widest possible sense, uh, and truth that we encounter when we engage with reality and and moral goodness that's sort of embedded in uh in in reality so that and this is where very interestingly by the way uh, the the evolutionary account of, of morality is actually in concordance with uh the christian position which is like morality enables humanity to survive and flourish that's that's why we evolve morality that's actually one of the things that i'm sort of discussing in the episode that i'm hope trying to record in the next couple of days, but anyway, so in that sense, what's um, what's happening is that um, the atheists who object to this characterization that uh, uh, that you actually believe in God, they, they are right to object to it because um, th- yeah, it doesn't mean that you believe in like God as Christians like fully envision it. But they also at the same time haven't understood what the concept of God fully meant, so there that's where the disconnect comes in anyway uh, so at this level because at least some people should be wondering like is, is that is that like all that god means because if that's what you mean by god then everyone's like everyone believes in god but that's 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 not it right and my answer is that's that's where the translation starts and you need to start here because otherwise you've, you've already misconceptualized and misunderstand what the concept is, misunderstood what the belief is. So uh, for, the, for the Christians, God is reality because that's, that's, how, we've, that's how we relate to God. That's, that's how the concept is used. That's how we think about things, or at least that's how we should think about the, these things because in our modern secular age, we've like Christians have sort of lost, this very nuanced conceptualization. But there's more to it, that, um, which, which is where, for example, scriptural revelation and stuff like that comes in, which is as we as we engage with reality, basically, uh, we've discovered really. That's that's what the biblical claim is. We've experienced and discovered that reality relates back with us in a certain way. We've uh it it has Something like a personality, but you can't figure that out like from scratch. It it took a couple of thousand years and multiple generations to uh, for people to sort of piece out what reality is like and what became more like a who because it it had a personality and it culminates at least in Christianity uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, where people saw this person of Jesus and they said if anything represents what experiencing reality fully in all its all its possibility and goodness then it has to be that person and that person who dies on the cross and 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 rises again from the dead right that the resurrection that's that's the that's the fulcrum that's that's the that's the that's the eye through which we can actually see not merely what, but who reality is like. So it's in that sense, it's a journey. And what, how I would characterize the more non-theistic or people who don't believe in God, uh, how they would experience God is that they are in one section of a journey, and Christians are on the other end. And of course, the atheists perhaps could say your journey was a wrong one that, that that was a wrong turn there like you you made a series of wrong turns and fair enough that's something that we can um we can discuss right we can we can share and and we can explore together and i'm pretty sure there are at least some some ways in which christians could uh benefit and learn from hearing from the other side and, and then, well I, I won't get into details of that because that then becomes a bit too complicated for now but um so that's how I would begin um, thinking about God in, in our context.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, um, one thing just as a side, just to mention, I, I first discovered this distinction, like, between the who and the what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found that, like, a massive paradigm shift for me because uh, in the Bible, the Bible has the perspective of who God is. Mm. Uh, this kind of relates to Richard Baucom's work on the divine identity and stuff. Um and then it wasn't until later when you know the philosophers came in, they started asking the what question. You know, mm. What is God? What in context of the Trinity? How do we make sense? He's three person, stuff like that. So that's why I found that interesting. Um your take on you saw there's kind of a distinction there in a different uh context. So
1: yeah because because in the biblical narrative um it's it's immediate right you you experience reality in the form of a form of a personal not personal experience makes it, it differently. It, you you encounter reality as a person, right? Yeah. yeah. Perhaps in the vision or in the voice that speaks from the heart, and you're like, "What's this voice? Uh, uh, is is it just some guidance? Because in the ancient world, that's how you would envision these things. Is it some sort of a guiding spirit? And as you journey on, that that beginning of a journey began with personalizing. How you experience God. Whereas uh, philosophers would then reflect and say, okay, so where does this voice come from? Like, what is this voice? Is, is it just some like voice in our heart, or is there some sort of a powerful entity out there? And they've analyzed what, what the Bible and what the Jewish and the Christian traditions have been saying about God, and these, these would be Christians. And from, from the earliest ages, before even the New Testament was being written, right? And they, got to, they also got to the what question. And that what question is, we are not dealing with some powerful entity. Those are the gods with a small g. But what what the Jewish and the Christian tradition eventually got to, because it was a journey, eventually got to was that what, like we are trying to engage reality as a whole not just a universe, by the way, because maybe there are multiple universes. Maybe, maybe the universe might not have existed. Whatever, but but reality still is, and that's what they're trying to engage, and that's what that's what, and that's who spoke to them, right? And and that's where the two sort of connected. So yes, those are two very closely linked but distinct questions.
0: Gotcha. All right, cool. Um, all right. So I want to I want to ask you this then. So so great. Now we kind of get a sense of. Uh, who and what you think god is and the role he plays uh, great all the atheists in my audience are asking who cares uh, you haven't demonstrated that there is actually this god you know it, mm. is there any scientific evidence that counts for or against the existence of god in your view hmm how should
1: i how should i put this Okay, I'm going to speak it again at the, at the most general level. If my translation um, of the concept of God as a concept of like reality, then um, because, because the, the, the bottom line question, you could say, uh, the, the, the background question for a lot of scientific atheists is, um, if we can explain everything that happens in the universe, in terms of uh, either laws of physics uh, or laws of nature, because there's a question about whether laws of physics simply just uh, explain everything on top of it, or do like uh, different laws, say like principles of evolution, do they emerge when things get more com- complex? But that's, if, you, if you're curious, look up the concept of emergence, uh, separate issue, anyway. Um, Put it in a very general way if you can explain everything in terms of laws of nature uh, and the entire set entire principle then uh, do we really need god and um and so far some of the less thoughtful argument you could say thoughtful debate has been focused more on well and maybe there are things that uh, these laws don't explain like uh, where did life come from and and we, we don't we don't have the full answer to that and and uh, how how Big Bang occurred, and and because we haven't, we are still searching for the ultimate laws of physics that sort of um, sort of describe and and and, and you know uh, describe how Big Bang <laughs> occurs and whether there are multiple universes and and all of those things, and and uh, that's where uh, the M theory and and superstring theory, all of that sort of fits in, and. That sort of sounds like well if are we sort of slotting this god entity in places where science can't explain and that's where the uh, god of the gap fallacy and and that sort of um, criticism comes from but that's not how i've translated the concept of god and that's i would argue that's that's not actually what the concept of god is for as long as the the more finalized concept was for the past 2,500 years or so, uh, at least 2,000 years. So if I were to say, you know, um, the, the simplest translation is not something like God is reality, and if, and if I were to substitute that word into a question like, uh, well, if you can explain everything in terms of laws, of laws of nature, do we really need God? And substitute, translate that word into reality, then you have this question. If I can explain everything in terms of laws of physics, do we really need reality? and my answer is uh yes <laughs> oh, but but that's not quite the right answer because um you'd be like uh, maybe we're not using the using the word correctly because that's a strange question to ask and remember god tr- in the traditional 1500 year old tr- uh, formulation god is being itself, truth itself and goodness itself and like substitute all of that into those questions we can explain everything in terms of science great except we haven't but but Perhaps we can, and that would be wonderful if we can. But let's let's do that. We, we explained everything in terms of uh, laws of nature, and and science can discover it. Let let's say we got to that point. Do we really need being? Do we really need? Do we really need truth? It's like yes and yes, but it's not it's not it's not a question of need. It's more like the whole this concept underlies the entire project, right? And one of my uh, So in in the book, uh, God at the Crossroads, Worldviews, um, that's where I talk about the approach, philosophical sort of approach about bringing together worldviews and how the the concept and belief in God and God would fit into that approach. Uh, I discuss um, this crossroad between Christianity and and general sort of scientific naturalism. And I said, if I were going to translate the concept of God specifically into the into the context of say natural science and that's important the the context like into the context what would the concept of god be as far as natural sciences are concerned right and my analysis was that the closest concept that actually translates to how the concept of god actually is is the concept of the laws of nature period, like the, the or, or more largely speaking, the concept of rational principle that define and underlies everything that happens that science can discover and understand. And it's the concept of um, what's called the logos. And there's a philosophical sort of um, history behind that, by the way. So if you, if you know the history of science, <clears throat> modern science emerged from philosophy. In fact, it, until, you know, just a couple of hundred years ago, uh, modern science was literally called natural philosophy, right? Um, Isaac Newton, for example, you know, the guy with gravity, like he discovered gravity. Um, he, he didn't say he was a scientist because the term didn't exist back then. He said he was a natural philosopher and a theologian. He also saw himself sort of as a, as a theologian. So, um, philosophy, scientists emerged Physics, like astronomy, first pretty much, and then physics and chemistry. Then eventually biology and psychology remain uh, emerge like fairly later, uh, comparatively speaking, from what's called like philosophy. And there's in Western philosophy, and I would not just say Western philosophy, uh, but it's a version of the same idea that you can find in in various philosophical traditions across the world. And the and the idea is basically something like this. Uh. The universe or the cosmos, um, there's a we can think about it and we can describe it rationally. we can we can use our language and our reason to to understand the workings in terms of principles or possible principles or laws. That's where the terms of laws of nature comes in. So and we call that logos because logos literally means uh, something like discourse, uh, words,. Um, reason, and that's how ancient Greek philosophers used it uh, when, when they were using the word philosophically speaking. And they thought, you know, uh, philosophy is basically about using lo- our logos, like our sort of discourse and language to, to understand and describe reality, really. Um, uh, the moral reality, the, the physical reality, all, all of that, because uh, that's, that's how reality is structured. Is structured by logos, and they use different terms for it. Plato used um, terms like the forms, and, and Aristotle as well, and but then the Stoic used like went back to the uh, back to the term logos. Um, for for example, the East Asian philosophy uh, they use the term Dao, and and in fact um, the two terms are often translated uh, into each other. Like logos is translated into Dao, stuff like that. Anyway, this idea of the logos then became the foundational, like, foundational principle or the, for, for, for the foundational ground, really, on which uh, the practice of science is pretty much built, because, because really, um, reject this idea, right, universe, there is no rational principle to the universe, we can't describe it, it's, we can't describe it with language and reason, um, like there's no point to it because there is, there's no connect. There's, there's no logos. If you say that you can't do science because that's what science does really. And what's interesting is that with, um, with the Jewish theologians like Philo and uh, later the God, like literally in the New Testament Bible, in the gospel of John, um, they said this logos, this philosophical principle logos is God. It's 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 not like well no 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 like you can believe in your logos and we will believe in God no 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 logos is God or more specifically it's God speaking right uh-huh. why because the idea is reality all of reality is sort of like speech that's why we can describe it and it's a very powerful idea it's so powerful in fact that uh, maybe you've heard of this hypothesis that. Um, the universe that we live in is a similar it's, it's a program it's, it's a set of like program and and simulation right yep. and and scientifically speaking like we can't we can't dismiss it we, we we don't take it so far most scientists won't take it seriously but the reason why they we don't take it seriously isn't because obviously that's not what uh, that's not what the universe is it's it's more of a common sense thing, really, the same reason why we, don't, we, we believe that we, don't, we are not in the matrix. But the reason why we, this hypothesis, this proposal, can be out there is that what science actually examines are the is information, really. Information, principles, that's what we examine. Because, again, in that sense, reality is like a language. That's, that's, the, that's a foundational sort of um, idea about our world that science operates in. And according to Christian theology, that's what they mean when they, when they say God, or at least God speaking. Uh, insofar as in the context of natural science, because God, uh, people experience God in, in many different ways beyond that, very specific context but as insofar as science is uh, science is concerned then that's what we mean by god so if that's that's how it is and people say well do you have any evidence for god the the most general answer that i could give is that that might not be a very good question to ask any more than it's a question of do you have any evidence that universe has rational principle or do you have any evidence that um uh, uh, there's such thing as laws of nature, or do you have any evidence that uh, science works? And it's like, uh, y- yes, <laughs> but that that's you're you're probably not asking or thinking about the question the correct way. Now, what we can go for like where we can go for from here in terms of science is something like this. Okay. Um, so, I should have put it ah so for example uh what's his name stephen hawking Mm -hmm. uh so i know the i know people who are atheists but will be very aware that stephen hawking was an atheist uh he's pretty explicit about it Mm -hmm. um he says in the book grand design where he says we don't need god um there is a very interesting line and this was this was like before i published the book all right so it's um so it's more like I had my position, then I realized, oh, interesting thing that you say there, but I sort of, like my position sort of predict, predict, maybe it's not a good word, but anyway, here's what he said. He said, um, maybe by God, people mean, I'm paraphrasing it here because I don't have the book with me. Uh, if, if by God, you mean the physical, uh, like physical laws of nature, then yeah, okay, like, God exists, <laughs> like, there, there is God, uh, but but you need more than you need more than that, uh, that for God because uh, don't you need miracles, which which like violates the laws of nature? And since you can't violate the laws of nature, that's why I don't believe in God. Like that. That that was his general flow of, uh, flow of his uh, thoughts. There, um, my position would be that you have the first part correct, right? Um, you you offhandedly correctly analyzed that the closest. Conception closest idea in the natural sciences that correlates to the concept of God is not some sort of a like super powerful alien entity, really, but um, but something like the laws of nature. Now, what about miracles? Does it violate the laws of nature? And all of those, uh, I would say miracle is a very different concept, uh, and and you it It doesn't fit well with with the question of like laws of nature and does it violate it or not because um, when the the con when when the idea of miracle was first being sort of uh, raised in the biblical narratives uh, there was no there was no concept of there are these laws and then you violate these laws it, people didn't think that way it was more like um wow, look at this amazing and cool stuff that happened that we didn't think could ever happen, but it happened, like, like the water is being split. Um, and and does this extraordinary thing that happened leads us to God? That's why miracle in the original Greek, for example, is a, literally means sign. It's a sign, not a break. It's a sign. So could a sign do something that at least as far as our our scientific knowledge is concerned, do something that we think is impossible, probably, but it doesn't have to be because th- that's not what is' actually concerned about uh, here's uh, here's an example uh, that I give in some of my courses. Uh, I think about ten years ago or so, uh, some people did a computer simulation and they weren't trying to prove the Bible either. they they were just using the Bible Exodus story as a as a case study of trying to figure out how well this um, simulator worked. And what they're trying to do was like, I think it's something about fluid dynamics. And they said, um, according to the simulation, um, if you plugged in all of these different information about uh, what happened in the Exodus, uh, like assuming that that happened, because remember, um, they're not trying to prove the Bible. Uh, They said, uh, there, there are locations in the Egyptian Delta, right? Uh, where like waters and the sea meets, where if a strong wind blows from the direction that Exodus described, and it's not so strong that people can't walk, so it can't be like hurricane force, but a very strong gale force, then laws of physics, as simulated in this program, um, shows that um, there are locations where the water will actually part and form a wall that's about two or three meters high and maybe five kilometers across. And that's actually what uh, our knowledge of science says would happen in certain locations. Uh, Does that mean that that's where Exodus happened? No, they're they're just trying to figure out how good the simulator is, right? But here was a thought experiment that I proposed. I said, let's say that that really was what happened and that's how uh, people cross the the sea uh, in the story of Exodus, right? Does that mean that this splitting of the waters Uh, does that mean that that wasn't a miracle and the answer was uh no that's a miracle because because the concept is not about whether the laws are violated but whether something incredible happened and 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 people being led by god was truly being led by god so again it's a problem with translation stephen hawking got one part of the translation correct the other part not so correct um should I also Einstein was an interesting one that also fits with what I'm saying, but lack of time. So we're going to, we're going to skip him, check out my um, episode on. um, So in my podcast, uh, what did I call it? I think it's something like God science, the universe and the flying spaghetti monster. I think that was the title. Uh, That's where I, that's where I'll go over all of these things. So you can, you can check those.
0: Um, One thing just just to follow up. So, um, maybe this can kind of take the place of question where you know i'm asking about science and religion you you've kind of covered your bases there look that there isn't this hard distinction between supernatural and natural and stuff like that and I, I fully agree with you i i've my audience will know um i've kind of made this argument um look we can detect uh the design of god mm. so these uh, events, certain events, uh, we can detect intelligent design. And I, I've applied Bill Dembski's criteria of specified complexity.
1: Okay. to Identify
0: those. So look, this is a God designed event designed for what to authenticate a religious message or something that can okay. apply in that Exodus case, whether it was a supernatural event or whether it was just the wind and you know, it's based on the timing or the circumstances in that case, but, with, with me shutting up and turning it to you as the guest, um, what do you think of, of something like that? Um, a design perspective, is there a way we can incorporate scientific principles to detect events, uh, miraculous events or something like that? Um,
1: yeah. Oh, that's a complicated question. Here is here are some caveats and it's, it's more of an approach issue rather than uh, anything that has to do with the content. Um, So how I normally approach uh, questions and issues is that um, I would take so expertise of different fields, right? So Mm -hmm. for me, it's it's philosophical theology. And what I can speak about in relative um, confidence is uh, what Christianity says as um as philosophically reflected upon and stuff like that um, but i draw upon um or I, I will mention or or discuss stuff that other fields cover like say uh, archaeology or or more often than not um scientific cosmology right and uh, currently the existing uh and established scientific cosmology is uh, the the big bang cosmology right yeah. and um uh, and the theory of evolution, and that, and uh, and unfortunately for some of uh, some of the more uh, atheistic audience who are into this argument, uh, multiverse cosmology is not yet not yet established. Uh, but uh, I think I argue elsewhere that uh, uh, that's that's not really a central point of contention for Christianity, anyways, because if the multiverse exists, that's still that that still involves. Laws of nature, which is the logos of God, so multiverse, God speaking. Only one universe, God speaking, so whatever. Uh, But uh, going back to my approach, uh, for me, if a particular uh, community of experts in that field says something, I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll take that. I do understand that that view may one day change, or that entire thing may be appended. Uh, perhaps people will say, we got everything wrong about, I don't know, evolution. It's like, OK, sure. But for now, if evolution is the thing, then I will, I will take evolution and, and, um, and see how it interacts with uh, the larger sort of Christian understanding of the cosmos, which, again, with evolution, like there are principles of evolution. That's still the logos of God. And if that's the case, that's God speaking. If if you're wrong and say, and this is what, oh, this is why I'm bringing it up, Dembski is involved in what's called intelligent design, which is a counterposition uh, for evolution, but that has not gained any traction within the within the scientific community. That's relevant for the debate, namely the, among the biologists. And uh, you know uh, he can argue, but until you manage to bring about a revolution there. I'm going to stick with like I'm going to stick with what's actually available uh, from the fields, and that's my approach. Your question, however, is a bit more specific because I suspect that you're not really talking about intelligent design in terms of uh, how species came about, but more uh, more as an analytical tool if I'm getting it right.
0: Yeah, exactly
1: right. Yeah um, and can we do that? Um, I'm not as familiar with that sort of anal- analysis to um, to confidently give my opinion on it. But here are a bunch of caveats that I could give, right? And it has to do with something like, um, does prayer work, right? That's a very similar sort of um, issue. Does prayer work? How would you go about scientifically examining that? And you would think, you know, like get a whole bunch of, MP- for people who are more, you know, uh, familiar with how a scientific um, inquiry works, uh, get people in a double-blind study, you know, you know what I mean, uh, um, sure. right? Double-blind study, uh, have a very, very large sample size of people praying about specific issue, and and people who's not actually praying, like have a control group, double-blind, and see if there is a, a notable status, a statistical difference, and perhaps you can do that. Uh, it's like, yeah, we can. But we have a whole bunch of underlying issues that could, like, derail the entire project and something like because the issue is, if we're if you're thinking about God in simply the terms of uh, terms of like the laws of nature and that's also God speaking at least at least as far as Christianity is concerned. So and that's much more regular and we we can we can scientifically study that but prayer is much more of a personal interaction and personal interaction, uh, brings into it a sort of like unpredictable hidden variables. Like if you're praying, like, do you have the right mindset? Do you have the right, are you in this right relation with God? Uh, when you're praying uh, because for Christianity, are you praying about something that God is already going to do, but he's god is like waiting for because that's what prayer often is uh especially even in prayers where like miracles happen god is at the point of doing something but he wants people to participate because if people don't participate there will be no point in doing this it's that sort of thing so and prayer is that part of uh, part of the participation are are people who's praying for this actually participating in what god is doing but how do we know what god is doing and and we can't we can't figure that out um, in this how we set up the study so so because of these hidden variables, um, we can't tell whether the people who are praying should be more effective or not, because there are a bunch of things that we don't know, right? So when we are talking about specific things that God does and trying to figure out, like, it's, it's uh, is that God or not, uh, and we try to apply a number of scientific analysis to it, um now I'm not specifically uh, talking about Dembski because, again, I'm um, uh, I'm not as familiar as I should be on that to to give you an opinion on it. But uh, but there are whenever we are asking about the personal side of God and the personal interaction side of it, then the scientific tools have, if I were to put it, would have inherent limits. And mm-hmm. one of the big sort of uh, background thing that we should, uh, how should I put it? So in the biblical narratives where like incredible things happen, like miracles, right? Um, The, the key sort of dynamic that works is that God first, like God converses with people and there's a direction of what's going to happen. Right. And then people confirm that God is God has actually spoken to them. What is true by seeing that this thing happened. That's, that's the dynamic. And the issue is the thing that happened um may or may not be something that's that's mundane in retrospect. Uh what's an example that I could give? Gideon, let's do it Gideon. You know the story of Gideon, right? In the book of Judges. Yep. Uh, and uh the Midianites army comes in and and God calls Gideon to uh, to uh drive these Midianite raiders away and and uh, and Gideon goes into this uh, very understandable conversation where it's like maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy. Like, he doesn't actually say that to God. but It's like, are you is it really God that's speaking and and you know not something else? So he asks for a bunch of signs. Like, uh, I'm gonna put this cloth on the ground and if it's wet and the, dry, the ground is dry, uh, that's probably where the Dembski analysis could come in. Like, how likely is that? Um, and it's wet, and the and ground is dry, but he flips it around, make, makes the, make the ground wet, and the cloth dry, so both happens, and he, he has enough of a courage to gather people around, and, and then uh, God tells Gideon to uh, send like, everyone who's sort of even remotely afraid away, so like two-thirds of them leave, and then <clears throat> God tells Gideon to um, take the remaining people and, and have them drink by the brook, uh, uh, like the, the stream, and and select like a very small set of people, about 300 in the end. And then the strategy was uh, they sort of attack in the night, right? Um, and a whole bunch of other things happened, but we'll skip that. Um, and the Midianites go into utter confusion because it was night. And, um, and the, the thing that Gideon and his 300 uh, men did was that they made a whole bunch of noise, like in complete darkness, and they all had torches. And so Midianites thought that they were being attacked by masses of people and it's dark and they don't know who the enemies are. And it's not like they have an like, uh, uh, electric lighting system back then. So uh, they started like, stabbing the first person they saw with, with, with a sword. And because Gideon only had 300 men and they were sort of on the outside, uh, the Midianite raiders uh, basically killed themselves. <laughs> um, and if you, if you look back in hindsight, you could say, wow. Uh, that's a strategy that actually could work in, in in that context. and it shouldn't be too surprising knowing all of these different variable, uh, variables. That that's actually how, what happened and the mediaites went into a full route because of like sheer confusion and chaos, right? And that was a good strategy. But the, but the biblical sort of um, way of thinking about it is was Gideon being guided by God who, speaks truth because truth remember god's the formulation god is being itself truth itself goodness itself so any truth is god speaking to gideon um was gideon being guided by truth so that the stuff that they thought before it happened to be to be impossible just happened to be something that was very doable when they did it and the answer is yeah okay, it could be but but you're missing the point because likeliness and unlikeliness is a factor in thinking about what god does but that's not the core factor the core factor is the background context of communication really like conversation that has been happening between between you and god so so those are again it's uh, 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 this is not an answer to where that, and that analytical tool works or not it's more of a generalized caveat saying here are the different sort of more what I would consider to be more central questions about what it means to think about God in a more personal way that is more at the forefront than the analytical tool that we might want to use in determining the likeliness or unlikeliness of that event. Because that's, that's a factor, but that's not a central factor in how people should think, at least biblically. Biblically speaking, uh, about whether God is uh, leading people or not. So,
0: makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I I think I agree with you that, and this is why I kind of distinguish um, between uh, certain types of miracles and stuff. And I'm specifically focused on miracles where that personal aspect is established. You know, God's his goal is to authenticate a religion rather than like oh is it just a healing or something but yeah no thank you so much for for your take on that uh i know that was part of the list um okay well well let me just uh to follow up and finish off on this last type of question of in general you know quote-unquote science versus religion and specifically looking at divine revelation in the Bible um okay so great you have this definition of God he is reality truth and goodness themselves or itself um type thing but
1: who we can personally experience when there's enough of a generational sort of a journey with God right so that's that's the other side of it but yes yes
0: uh, but yeah but but as we know there mm-hmm. are errors that creep in we we sometimes uh-huh. get reality wrong right yes so i'm, I'm trying to phrase it phrase it this way sometimes scientists interpret reality falsely or okay. if you're open to this perhaps some might say atheists. yeah but the bible gets uh reality wrong at some time so mm-hmm. sometimes these things conflict how do we yeah. go about making sense of this do we privilege one means of interpretation of reality over another like how do we make sense of this when there are, is this possibility of errors
1: right um one of the mistakes that we can make when we get into this debate of like is there a conflict between the bible and the science or is there a conflict between science and, uh, uh what we know about the world uh, today and and history today and and, and the bible is um well, there is a possibility that we've gotten our scientific and and scholarly knowledge wrong because that happens, by the way. Uh, so that's that's where I, I keep saying like, as keep keep things open. That's that's how the the rational and scientific inquiry should work, but. Still, is if that is what is established right now, then, then that's what you have, and that's what you, that's what you deal with. But the more important aspect of uh, um, my take on it is, are we sure that we understand what the biblical accounts are actually saying? Um, and that's a that's that's a difficult question to sort of uh, go through, but here's let's let's just go through like one very specific example, right, uh, on Genesis, because that's that's where the really popular and uh, flaming de- debates come from. So. Um, so as i said we have um scientific understanding of the uh, of the world is uh, like our big bang cosmology and and evolutionary biology oh here's that interesting thing that i i, th- I wanted to mention that i, I didn't go over um uh, i said the logos the concept of logos which is literally like reality is like a speech and god is speaking right that that's how, how it's connected and that's like foundational to science mm-hmm. uh it's it's Baked in into the very names of science, by the way, if you haven't noticed. So cosmology is literally, uh, like, if you go into the etymology of it, it's like the logos of the cosmos because that's what we are uh, studying. Biology is like logos of life. Biology and psychology logos of uh, psyche. So, in in like very interesting, uh, how how uh, science is based. Anyway, that that's something that we talked about earlier um when we think about the book of genesis and uh the creation account and then we say like but that's not how i say the big bang cosmology and and evolutionary uh, biology works and and their timeline and what they said happened and and there's some interesting parallels by the way with with like, let there be light and, and the cosmos beginning with like this flare of bang right energy but uh, but beyond those kind of things, and oh, and the and the very interesting insight that time is not eternal. Like it's time is a thing that came into being. That's a uh, that is something that it, actually ancient philosophers thought were like uh, what was a crazy idea. But then the Christians were like, well, if you read Genesis, that's that might actually be what Genesis is saying. Um, and it turns out, hey, that's it. Genesis as far as that was concerned. And you had similar ideas in, in say Hinduism. And I don't know whether that's true in Eastern uh, like Chinese philosophy, but I know in, in at least in Hinduism uh, as well as Christianity and Judaism uh, that time comes into being and that's a powerful insight. And that's that's a very interesting point of conversation. But but in a lot of the details, yes, it's it's quite different. And one thing that we need to understand is um there is this is what's called the principle of accommodation and i know uh, for example in the protestant tradition um john calvin and for those of you who are familiar with protestant christianity you know who john calvin is it's presbyterian church basically from him but pretty much he's, he's like the founding like thinker of, of protestant christian theology and he uh, he had this concept. Uh, he had this um, yeah concept, theological idea of, of what's called accommodation, and and the idea is something like this. And he and um, he didn't use it to sort of uh, deal with science and religion issues, because th- this was more like a general theological concept and something like this. Um, whenever God speaks with people, or whenever people hear from God, um, what's happening is that what the the message that has been communicated what what god is speaking gets accommodated it, it's shaped into the level of understanding and and the context of where those people are at that time so one thing i think that uh, i think calvin gave was um, that he said well um ah i forgot the actual example but Calvin basically said, well, there's a way that the ancients saw the moon and and um, I think something about the moon. Check out my episode on um, uh, in, in season two, episode one and two, uh, and possibly three, where you can actually get the details on that. But anyway, what he was trying to say was that um, God sort of accommodates to our level. So God is not saying something that's like, True at 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 the at where God is because because that'll be that would be like an infinite truth and we, we don't even know that even even like billion years into the future where our science advances to unimaginable degree that we can know everything about reality that there can ever be like that we don't have guarantee, any guarantees on that uh, so it might be that God has to accommodate to our level like all the time. Um, so, what does a well? Maybe that's a bit too abstract, uh, abstract to. We are thinking, um, saying it. So, say, uh, say you're a programmer. You're programming a game. That's the example that I gave in the in one of the episodes. You're you're programming you're, uh, you're programming the AI, for the game, right? And you have a you have a little daughter, and and she's like what eight or uh, yeah seven or eight maybe six she she comes over and says, hey daddy what are you doing right um and you can uh with your massive expertise in programming and 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 artificial intelligence uh talk about stuff like machine learning and like deep learning and stuff like that and programming language and codes but your daughter your six-year-old daughter will get none of that. Like you will mean nothing to her. She might get like, like 1% of that, but that's not very helpful. So, what you would likely say if, if you're in that situation, you would simply say, I'm teaching the I'm teaching the computer how to play this game. But you could say, Well, that's not really true, right? You're not teaching the computer in the sense that you teach a child, but but that's what she understands. That's that's the closest thing to what you're doing that your child can understand. And whenever God speaks, uh, that's what's happening, accommodation. So then the next question is, accommodation happens throughout different stages in history. So whenever God speaks to people in different ages, God's going to accommodate to that age, not say our 21st century age. If God is speaking to people that's living like say 3,000 years ago, is going to speak to their view and not to our view. So you, it's kind of unfair to say, hey, God, why are you talking about Big Bang, cosmology, and evolution um, when he, God is speaking to people whose vision of the world was something like, um, world is flat, because we've only figured out that world was sort of a round sphere maybe, say, 2,500 years ago. And, and that was from the Greeks, at least as far as the West is concerned. So 3,000 years, they would have thought the world was flat. Uh, there would be like this water above the flat world and water below the flat world. A water would be like what, what surrounds the cosmos, because there would only be one world, by the way. They, they wouldn't, like stars wouldn't be separate world worlds of their own, mm-hmm. as we now have in our cosmology. Stars would be like these shining stuff. Uh, but more than that, uh, it's uh, shining stuff that moves with incredible regularity that, uh, that tells them what seasons are. And... Um, and sea would be, because they didn't have submarines and marine biologists, uh, sea would be this like mysterious thing that sort of pulsates with life. Uh, but it also is connected deep into the earth because rivers from water, right? And well, there would be waters above because, um, because, well, rain comes from above and that means water has to be there. That would have been their view of the world. Now... As far, according to Christian theology, traditionally speaking, God wouldn't then say, hey, you stupid people, uh, you need to, you need to change your cosmology, but see, um, if that needs to happen, you need to, there needs to be a whole bunch of different things that needs to happen, like uh, development of advanced mathematics and calculus and, and uh, concepts of say momentum and gravity, all of those things right and so if god is trying to relate to people if if reality is trying to relate to people personally right um, those are things that that people can get on their own later what god is going to do is get the core message across and it is at this point that i think some some like pastors or theologians sort of then say yeah so genesis is simply about god creating the world period so let's let's move on because the rest is just about people three thousand uh, like what people three thousand years ago thought about things. and And if they do that, that's uh, we're you'll miss- we'll be missing out on a lot of things. So here's what I mean. Remember what I said when i said if you if you engage people with a radically different worldview, you want to get into their mindset and 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 un- see the world from their side and 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 f- like follow their thinking and 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 how they, how they work things out, and, and then you'll learn a lot of things. So if you go into the minds of the ancient Hebrews and Middle Eastern civilizations, say, 3,000 years ago, or even 2,700 years ago when the final version of Genesis was being compiled, um, you would find that uh, the way that they perceive the physical world is very different from ours, not just because they have a different cosmology, but uh, in the sense that um, physical things symbolize um, Abstract concepts, like important abstract concepts. So here's an example. Uh, for us, water is h two o, right? Because we now have uh, um, we, we now have theories about atoms and how they combine in chemistry. That didn't happen until, say, like three or four hundred years ago. Three thousand years ago, for them, water was something like it's fluid. It doesn't have shape, but at the same time, uh, life can't exist uh, without it, so they they understood water as um, this substance of chaos and life. And in in if I were to translate it to to our age, it would be something like, "This is what possibility is." That's that's basically what chaos and life represent. Like this this is this is like the physical substance of possibility, and that's why life comes from it but that's also why like it it can turn into a flood and and bring about destruction and it's so powerful because it's it's like literally possibilities right and land because it has forms and they thought remember the the land that they see is like the only world they know Uh, this is the this is the realm of forms and shapes and order right and the stars they see up in the sky again not a they're not burning Distant suns with planets and worlds of their own. They are they are sources of light that move with such order that, uh, for the ancient say Egyptians and the uh, Babylonians, they thought this was like a manifestation of cosmic order. Which we like even today, that's what we think. Like it's it's cosmic order, uh, the movements of cosmic order. So that's what they represented. In fact, represent is a bad word. It's not like it's not that they thought these are symbols of things like this literally was how they saw it right so if you read genesis in that sense and god it begins with god sort of speaking into the waters right like and if you read if you connect because genesis isn't the only part in the bible that that talks about creation uh, god basically um says i create darkness and form the light so that's all me too so so you can say God sort of like speaks forth waters and and then speaks to the water so that it forms into something um for us that's like okay that's just, that's just crazy because you know um uh, that's not how the cosmos uh, like began it's like no really like if you understand what they actually mean for the ancient people it's something like god is that which sets forth infinite possibilities of anything that's actually possible, whether it's like possible universes, even uh, he sets forth infinite possibilities. And then he sort of shapes or he brings forth from these possibilities, certain kind of universe. And one, one of that was something like light, or when God sort of says, let there be land it not simply like planetary movement. That's, that's not what Genesis is describing is something far larger, which uh, basically from From like this infinite set of possibilities, God forms a cosmos that actually has regular shapes and forms and physicality. So what then Genesis says is that, okay, say, so thousands of years into the future, we have starships and we meet like, I don't know, aliens and stuff and and we're sailing the sea of skies and, and we see like distant planets and we say, what does Genesis have to do with it? Well, everything. Because... What Genesis is saying is that if you encounter anything that has physical shape, that is literally the speech of God. Well, that's one portion of the speech of God. Any possibilities that sort of uh, array out before you as a scientist examining those possibilities, or even like in daily life, and we, we see like different possible ways that our life can unfold, what you're actually experiencing is God speaking forth and, and, and speaking into those possibilities that you're actually being engaged with God. Uh, life and trees even, trees is a fascinating concept uh, in multiple, multiple di- uh, different cultures. Uh, trees represent something like a world and of life itself because if you think about trees and how, how the image of trees sort of uh, present themselves to us, and that's one of the reasons why people uh, put like, strings and colored papers on trees and, and like venerated the trees because they have a very powerful imagery because trees have roots that go deep into the earth, which represents like often for in, in people's psyche like the past and the unknown and all of that it goes deep into the earth, stretches out toward the sky which for people often represented like the infinite and open possibilities right and and it starts bearing, fruit to a new uh, to a new life and for people when they saw trees they saw trees but they often for the ancients uh, saw something like if you're to describe like the history of life itself (laughs) that's what a tree is like that's why for example the norse people thought uh, the center of their world if you saw marvels like thor movie and they have yggdrasil right that's a tree that's a tree imagery Uh, they thought well that's that's what tree is. In fact, ev- when we, when we talk about the entire like history of life, uh, evolutionary history of life, we say it's a tree. It's a, we call it the phylogenetic tree. That's because that imagery of tree is still with us. Right. And Genesis um, in Genesis, God says, and that's when God first, like, aside from bringing forth like physical world in form of land, God says, let there be seed and trees. And we say, no, there they were like, bacteria first. It's like, no, you're, you're missing the point, because for the ancients, seed represented beginnings of life, any life. So not just plants, but humans had seeds, because that's how they conceptualized life. So God says, first time he says, uh, let there be like physical world, then God speaks to the physical world, and he says, let the physical world be able to bring forth seed and trees. And what that means, if you're to translate it to our terms, it would be something like, there's there's like these speech like reality is like a speech god's god speaking and god speaks in such a way that the physical world is able to bring forth beginnings of life that grows like trees right and genesis is describing all it's it's we are mistaking the sheer scale what of what the genesis creation account is trying to describe in the language and in the, concept, uh, in the concepts that were available 3,000 years ago. But if you were to then translate, translate it into a correct scale of things to our age, it's something much more massive than simply like, can you compare it to a scientific sort of account of the universe? Like, Well, no, because it's, it's meta-scientific. It's talking about not what like, this, how this or that life arose, or this or that sort of uh, planets formed and stars uh, formed and stuff like that. Is It's speaking about it in terms of, how does any sort of universe, how does any sort of cosmos, like, what is that about? And w- what is life about? And what is physicality about and And what sort of underlies all of that? That's what Genesis account is saying. So if that's what it's doing, right? Mm-hmm. then it's very difficult to speak about conflicts because they are they're speaking, they are they're, 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 they're envisioning reality at a different level of description, right? It's one is describing at a much more fine, finer detail sort of view. The other one is much more broader, right? So, if that is the case, then then how should we how should we talk about this debate between science and religion? Well, um, perhaps we are misunderstanding. Well, the relation between what what the biblical account is trying to describe and what the scientific account is describing, but we are also misunderstanding uh, the different. Level and the scale at which they are operating, and here's like here's one another thing that kind of annoyed me um, annoys me uh, when I listen to the popular and sometimes even actual like scholarly debate. Um, people tend to separate like religious and the scientific like script like biblical, not religious. That's too general. Uh, biblical um, account and the scientific account is like these separate realms that that. Don't connect and and the biblical one is more about morality and scientific. is more about you know what actually is 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 the case. That's not quite correct. That's not what I'm trying to do here. it I, I, it's not a separate realm as much as it's more of a um, overlap, but overlap in terms of like which level are we thinking into ter- yeah, thinking it? In. Uh, are we thinking in terms of if I have to use the metaphor? Um, are we thinking in terms of like, trees and waters and rocks or are we thinking in terms of forest mountains and rivers right gotcha and and that's why the like look here's 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 a rock here and not there and and the and the water has like this composition and not that composition it's like really that's great but we're talking about rivers and 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 mountains so uh, and obviously they are connected because mountains are uh, are formed out of rocks and rivers are formed out of water so great we are we are talking about something that like we, we are looking at the same thing but different levels and that's what genesis at least that account and and the scientific account is doing now can i use the exact same argument for everything in the bible no and and here's where I will give that further warning um so with this genesis creation account like i have to really think about things and, and the biblical scholars had to think about things we have to understand the cultural context and their conceptual concept of um, understanding and then translate it to our day and we had to do all of that hard work and that was like the first two chapters of genesis what i'm saying is that we need to do that for pretty much all of the bible if you want to actually figure out whether there is a conflict or not. So because we haven't done that, we, have, we are not really in a place where we can make the argument. And the problem that we've been having was that we've, we've got into fighting each other way too early because there are so many other things that we really should have established and thought about before we even began to you know, get into argument with each other.
0: So that's that's my take on it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I think you you did a great job. You covered um, various questions there about you know covering the trees, Genesis creation, the flood. So I, yeah, I, I take your answer. Right, mm. um, we're reading it in light of what the author is actually trying to describe. Um, I guess I'll, I'll just ask um, as a follow up question. Um, okay, so. Granted, let's just grant what you're saying. Uh, this is what the author is is describing, and the, it's perfectly consistent with uh, what science is describing. It's just different levels of, of description. Um, so, what what is the purpose of creation then? Why does God bother hmm. with creating?
1: That's an interesting, uh, another interesting point. Uh, another plug-in. There's there's an episode <laughs> that, uh, uh, that that goes into that. Um, Oh, by the way, I I wanted to sort of uh, uh, clarify uh, that statement about whether Genesis is consistent with science. That's uh, if by consistent with science, we mean like it's consistent with current science. Uh, That's I'm trying to say more than that. What I'm trying to say is that because it's at at a level that's uh, at a different level of description and analysis from what science is doing, it would Likely be consistent with any sort of science, right? Uh, um, in the way that when, when I say God is like uh, God speaking, as far as science is concerned, is the logos, and that's the laws of nature, and and that concept of God will be consistent with not not just today's science, but any sort of science that we, we would ever sort of arrive at, and and that's the level of sort of uh, thinking about God that I'm trying to get to. So. So that's what I'm trying to do. But what about the purpose of the universe? And that's, well, uh, let's, let's narrow that question, um, because that happens to be a very, very wide question. Uh, let's narrow that to uh, what does, say, for example, the creation, Genesis creation account as understood by Christians, uh, imply about the purpose of the universe, right? So let's get into that. What, what's that message there? And I think one of the mistakes that we have uh, that we've we've been making is that uh, we assume because we read, we read Genesis and we go, Hey, what does that, what happens at the end? Oh, human beings are created. So we we assume that, well, God created the universe so that, so that we can exist, like humans can exist. And, and, and God sort of wants like these sentient creatures to, uh, to relate to him. And, and, and that's why the universe is, and this is where the, 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 current sort of uh what was called fine-tuning argument comes in because um like scientifically speaking and it's it's one of those curiosity you could say uh, in in contemporary cosmology that uh, our universe is extremely fine-tuned for life and that's and that has taken us by surprise because the universe could have the the different powers, the, the strengths of these different like forces, uh, fundamental forces like the strong, nuclear strong, nuclear weak, el- electromagnetic and, and gravity and, and the strength of these forces and all of these other these, these parameters are so very specific that even if there were just a little bit off, life or even complex matter wouldn't be able to exist. So uh, people have been saying like, why is this the case? And, and one answer is that maybe we don't, we haven't really Gotten deep enough about what what the fundamental laws of physics is, and once we do, then we'll be able to figure out um, why that why that's so. And some other people say maybe there are multiple universes, um, which we haven't been able to sort of establish in any form, but perhaps we can in some distant future. And the final answer is it's because there is God, and God sort of wanted 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 us to exist. And uh, in my episode, my position is that. Um, it could be any of the three, and 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 the, as as far as Christian theology is concerned, we are fine with all three. Because remember, like the laws of nature is God speaking. So if there's some deeper fundamental laws of nature, great, that's that's what God is speaking. If uh, it was fine-tuned specifically for us, then that's what God spoke. And if there are multiple universes, that's what God speaks. That's 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 the logos. So like there isn't that particular stake as far as the Christian belief of God is concerned. But there is a stake in the sense that we can figure out what the purpose of the universe is, if, for example, there is no other multiple universes, and and if everything is fine tuned for life. So that's a scientific side of things. But the scientific sort of position uh, assumes that God created the world just so that we can exist. because we happen to be created at the end and God's like really happy when we, when we are created because it's like, uh, God creates humanity and says, I create, I'm going to create humanity in the image of God. So he creates humanity, uh, male and female in the image of God. So he says in Genesis and God says, now, now the creation is very good. So we like, <clears throat> so well, what else could it mean? And it has, that's true to an extent. But if you check out the Genesis creation account, and if you like read carefully, um, God sort of like explicitly says why he he creates certain things at each stage, right? <coughs> so here's here's uh, how he uh, says about um, stars. So he creates the stars in the sky, right? Stars, sun, and the moon. Um, and God says, "Let there be stars, sun, moon, and the stars." And he says. So that they can rule the sky, and what that what that means for at least at least the ancients would be that they can they can be there in the sky, that's one, and that they can shine with light because they're sources of light. And in that sense, they would rule. So so God basically says, "I want things in the sky that shines, right? at different intervals. and and God says, so that you can mark the seasons and time. And what that means is that they can, the reason why we can mark seasons and times, with sun, moon, and the stars is that they move in a regular interval. And if you're to like scientifically describe it, um, because of how laws of gravity and all of that works, there's there is this regularity in, in, in the heavens. And that's what the ancients saw when they saw the sky, when they saw the, when they saw the stars, they said there is a cosmic order because of the stars. And what God says in Genesis is um, I, I'm I'm going to create sun, moon, and the stars so that they can shine and they can they can manifest order in the cosmos in terms of regularity and if you have to look at it scientifically it's like yeah that's what stars and that's that's literally what stars do they they burn and shine and they move with uh, they move it regularity according to some sort of laws that's what that's what stars are and when God creates uh, life, right, uh, whether the seed or when he creates creatures in the sea, you see and the sky, God says, I'm going, to let there be life, right? And he says, so that it can flourish and fill the earth. And what's interesting is like, I, I, there's some larger reason why you exist. Like just, God doesn't say that. He, says, he just says, let there be life so that they can fill the earth and flourish. And if we are to take, again, from the modern scientific perspective and sort of look into it, um, that's what evolution does. It, it diversifies life so that they can fill all the different niches on this planet so that they can fill the world. And and that's what this evolutionary race, you could say, that's what it does. It, it, it makes them flourish, or at least that's the goal anyway. So what's interesting is that, at least as far as Genesis creation accounts puts it, the reason why I said say the land exists or or life exists or stars and all of those things uh, things exist it's because god just wants them to be there it's like why does god want them to be there well i don't know god just what he god just wants the stars and he just wants him wants them to um to show regularity and order and god just wants life to to flourish and fill the world and that's just what he wants and and it's it's not, they're not there just so that humans can live. They're there because God just wants them to exist and be, be what they are, really. That's, that's how Genesis seems to imply it. But then God creates humanity and God says, I want to create humanity to be the image of God. And, and you might wonder like, what does that mean? And I once thought that, you know, there, there was like this huge debate over what, what that word means in the scholarly community, because scholarly community being the scholarly community, they, there's always uh like heated debates but my um uh, a friend of mine who's who's an old testament scholar says actually that that actually doesn't like there's not much controversy regarding that yeah image of god just simply means that uh, humanity is to represent god to each other and to the rest of the world that's that's just what it means um and what that suggests is that uh we, we we got the question backward because, it, like, I mean, uh, if we think that the universe exists for us, we we are we are getting the statement backwards. Because what Genesis seems to be suggesting instead is that uh, God created the universe so that universe can be what it is and and do what it does, right? Uh, and be very diverse and all of that. And but God created humanity for humanity to do things for the universe. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love humanity because it's like, look, I created these creatures that can do stuff that no other creatures before, at least in our planet, uh, can do. And my God's hope and God's purpose is that for us, is that God, uh, humanity manifests something about God that no other creatures can do. And that it brings blessing upon each, like upon each other, um, upon all of us and to the rest of the world. And for people who are being more cynical, uh, in hindsight might say, uh, that's not what we humans have been doing to the world um, uh, as, as long as we existed. And the Christian answer is yes, you're right. Um, and that's the story of the of, of the fall because, um, because human capacity is something like this, right? Um, we have com- like other creatures have a rudimentary a rudimentary language, but we have an extremely complex form of language and language system that can like actually generate different different languages and different levels of language and and describe the world and that's very that's very important because if my take on it was fruitful and reality is like a speech and God is speaking reality then the the fact that we can speak and we have complex language that can sort of match what reality is which is what science is for example um, then in that sense we represent god and humanity also is a very social creature um there are other social creatures in the world but um humanity has potentially has the power to do um to bring our sociableness to the level of uh, love and self-sacrifice and not just to like our own species because um because for example we are one of those like really really strange creatures that get really, really sad when some others, like, oh no, the pandas are dying, or oh no, the whales died, right? And of course, other species can, can you know, care for like stories about like wolf taking care of some other like mm. like baby creatures too. But humanity takes this to another level, right? And that that's our potential. But the flip side of that potential is that because we have this capacity for, uh, for understanding not only each other, but understanding other people and love, we also have the capacity to flip it and use that capacity for extreme destruction and evil. And we are one of those creatures that can take our maliciousness and like sheer spite into a level that no other creatures can, right? So it's a in that sense, it was a gamble. So when God, at least according to Genesis Creation account, when God creates humanity, God says, you like represent God. Mm -hmm. And we still do in the sense that we have the intellectual and and, uh, technological and physical capacity to do things that represent reality and its infinite possibilities that no other creatures that we know of can, but we can also turn that into a very demonic version of it. And That's the that's the narratives of um that happens from Genesis 3 to all the way to the Genesis narratives of about you know no one the great flood because the great flood narrative, if you are to just you know boil it down to its like absolute core essence, is something like what human beings can do uh can be so toxic that it destroys the world. Like it's what what God will do in response, because we think in terms of like God being like angry and, and maybe spiteful and bringing the flood. But that's that's not how the ancients are trying to describe it. It's if if you are to listen, if you are to take into account of the context of what's, uh, what's going on, it's more like because God is reality, the way that we act and, and the, uh, the way that our society can form can become so toxic that our entire world can unravel and that's how reality works right and when i say that's how reality works that's a translation of that's what god does that's what god does that's how reality works when uh when we turn our capacity towards something so toxic that we destroy our society and the world and then, then we can destroy the world in ways that no other creatures can but that's okay so we uh, we've sort of gone beyond your original question but Uh, So what's the purpose of the cosmos? Well, according to Genesis, um, to exist and to be what it is. And it is the purpose of humanity to bless the world, which we have partially succeeded, but at many points um, failed miserably. And that's, that's the story of Genesis. Yeah, awesome.
0: Uh, so yeah, you, you did a great job. You I think you covered uh all my questions, uh, the next mm-hmm. questions and stuff like that. Um, one one thing, uh, just a couple last follow up then on the fall. Um, mm-hmm. if if I can finish off with that. Um, so one of the questions is uh, the issue, the imagery of the snake uh, or Satan tempting you. So, you know, how would you make sense of that in light of your your way of looking at uh, mm. Genesis, as as well, uh, a question that's not on there that I, I would like your thing on is the issue of death, right? Because right, right. a lot of people will say, look, death comes in either spiritual or physical as um, with man. Um, mm. Now you, you mentioned in one of your previous answers that like life is represented by seeds and trees. Mm. Um, and some people will say, yeah, but you know, those seeds and stuff or everything was dying before yeah and came along in sin so that's that's sort of an issue and one of one of the interpretations that i that i kind of had was well there are only certain creatures that are all biblically alive right ones that have souls like trees they don't have a soul or like insects Mm -hmm. don't have a soul but that seems to not be what you're saying no even seeds and trees they can die they're alive so yeah do you want to reconcile that Uh,
1: Um, so one other question that uh in in regarding the book of genesis and the story of the fall um that has been uh asked throughout the century so it's a a really really old question was uh, whether there was death like death before um the first humans uh fell away from god and uh, the general answer often has been uh, that uh, maybe there were uh, it's right because uh, the I, I know that for a lot of uh, different sort of Christian views uh, in today is that no, like humans were like immortals uh, uh, physically immortal before uh, before they ate the fruit, so to speak. Um, but like even like John calvin uh, again the the foundational thinker uh, theologian for the Protestant uh, branch of Christianity uh, said no I think I think humans would have would have physically died but their death would have been much more peaceful and um, and dignified without the fall um, but so what he was trying to say was that the death that um, the story of the fall described was uh, spiritual death uh, and it, it connects right, and I don't know whether he's the one that would do it, but at least I would, uh, I would connect it right into the Gospel of John passage where uh, Jesus prays and says, may they have eternal life. And then uh, right afterward, it, um, there's an explanation, and this is eternal life to know you, God, right? So um, so if you fell away from God and you were cut off from God, that's, that's what it means to, at least as Gospel of John defined it, um, that's what it means to die now so what does that mean for physical death or this this actually belongs to a larger set of questions right um how literal can you um, when i for for example in, in the in the approach that i took in trying to understand genesis uh, people might say so you think like genesis like all oh, symbolics so my my answer would be like eh, no i'm saying that there is a larger what what we now would call like." representation of a larger sort of concepts and and ideas that are extremely profound that Genesis is describing. Mm -hmm. And you want to take it symbolically, maybe symbolically, but perhaps maybe like a hundred years from uh, from now, scientists might say, oh no, we got like all of our chronology wrong and and our world was like only 6,000 years old. And all of that, uh, my position then would be, well, okay, like that's fine. Like w- what I've been saying about what Genesis says uh, still stands, even if whether it's literal or not. It's uh, what I'm trying to get to is like the core idea and message that it's saying, which is much more profound than the question of like how it relates uh, in in like physical uh, literal literal meaning of the terms. So um, so I'm just simply laying aside that question, going back to the story of the fall. Um, is there, could we have like physically lived um, without death, uh, in terms of uh, like if we haven't fallen away from God? Well, uh, as far as I guess the scientific view is concerned, uh, no, there probably were uh, there there were physical deaths before, and I would say, okay, sure, fair enough. That's that isn't the core question that that's interesting and what Christianity seems to be uh, concerned with centrally speaking, right? Um, so maybe there is, maybe there isn't. That's not the issue. What is describing at a score is something like. Here's an interesting way to put it. Okay, uh, and I did I did mention this in the in 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 the relevant episode in my series. Um, how do you live forever? Like here's a question, how do you live forever? And by that question, I don't mean, and wh- because when, whenever we say this, we think in terms of like, how do we like not die forever, right? It's like, no, no, I don't, I don't mean that. I mean, if we don't physically die, like say maybe there were genes that, that made us die physically and we just turned it off, right? So we don't like, we now won't physically die like for an indefinite period of time. Okay, how do we live? If you have all that time, because if you're familiar with various different literature, whether from the fantasy literature, science, science fiction, and all of that, people, when people are given like thousands of years, and that's also part of well, the vampire literature, by the way. So certainly people get to live like thousands of years. And almost like in all of those literature and instances, because literature in a sense is like a thought experiment. We are, we are, simulating what would happen if people are placed in in that sort of context and situation so when we simulate it our simulation basically says we would go crazy like we would literally go crazy and and our lives would become a living hell and that's a that's an odd thing right like if you get to just simply live why would you go crazy like or why would it become such a such a burdensome thing and the Genesis account seemed to be some, uh, saying something like what the fall did was it damaged our relationship with God and re- relationship with reality really and so relationship with everything and relationship with each other in such a, uh, in such a fundamental way that we don't know how to live period let alone live how to uh, know how to live like perpetually and one other one other thing that we seem to have failed was and here's how Einstein put, put it right Albert Einstein um, when he was speaking about theory of rel- relativity, he said um, um, when he was trying to uh, explain the idea that time is relative and um, he just he cheated by the way because he doesn't actually explain his his actual theory, but he said, okay, look, um, say. Uh, you're sitting with a person that you really love, and you're looking at a beautiful scenery, right? And if you're doing that, an hour goes go, go, goes like a minute, like an hour is like a minute. But if you're sitting down on a hot, like, burning stove, then a minute is like like a day, right? Uh, that's how time is relative. And the idea behind that is, like, if you if you're so connected with things around you, and if you like, if you love it, then time stops being an issue. It stops. Making you crazy, and you you know that when you um, when you're engaged with something that's like really really meaningful to you, right? When you're reading something that's that's like captivating, or when you're watching a show that's captivating, or you're doing something like you you don't know that time is passing, because it it, it doesn't grind you down. And if the gen what well, how Genesis seems to envision is like if you are connected with God, so that everything that you do like captivated you like that, then you would have known how to live. And in fact, um, an interesting point that I could make is that a lot of the mystical traditions across the world, so uh, in Buddhism, say in in the Zen uh, Buddhism and various like meditative positions, uh, views, uh, they're actually trying to get to that, by the way. They're trying to say, how how do we shape our consciousness so that we, well, if you are to put it in the Christian perspective, we recover what we lost in the fall, at least in, a temp- at least in some context, in, in a very temporary way. So Genesis is basically saying, that's what we lost and that's what kills us. And the reason why we lost that, uh, okay, another episode, uh, is when you ate the fruit, we, we get really focused on the fruit saying, what, what's that fruit? Like, is that an apple or an orange? It's like, no, no, no. Uh, check out like why they ate the fruit and says like a snake said it yes but the snake represents at least for the ancients various things uh, possibly the wisdom but also venom and poison and danger and all of that um uh, and and in the biblical tradition also the the force that wants to cut you off from god and cut you off from from yourself so all of that goes into the snake so what does that sort of aspect of our life tells us well it says eat the fruit of knowledge of good and evil which is we 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 tend to think think in terms of does that mean that satan wanted us to uh learn like scientific knowledge no 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 that's that's not what the ancients were trying to get at it's it's more like um here's a knowledge of all the good things and the bad evil things that can happen to you right and uh, why is that important? Well, because the snake prefaced that statement by saying, you can't trust God, God has his own agenda, and that agenda is well, um, is harmful to you. So eat the fruit and and, and protect yourself. Uh, but when they ate the fruit and for in the in the biblical sort of language, uh, eating it uh, means, You make that into an integral part of yourself, which is why in the Christian tradition, uh, there's the uh, rite of communion where you eat the bread and wine that represents Jesus Christ, which is not cannibalism, but it's something like we are going to make Jesus Christ, like his life and resurrection, all of that, an integral part of ourselves. And that's why we take communion. So when they ate the fruit, it was something like we are going to take this fearful distrust of God, which again, if if you're to translate it to our context, if we're going to take into our lives a fearful distrust of reality and everything that uh, reality um, personally presents to us and how we relate to reality and the people around us and what that means, like how we relate to God, we're going to take a fearful distrust of that into an integral part of ourselves. And when you do that, what then happens is that you become suspicious. So um, knowledge, there's a knowledge, by the way, if, if you're suspicious of, of a person uh, and you fear their betrayal, so to speak, it's a kind of a knowledge, but it's a very toxic kind of knowledge because even if that person's innocent and they love you, you are, you are suspicious because you know that there is a possibility that they can betray you and you're vulnerable, but if that happens, every Every interaction between you becomes both poisoned and painful. So if that's what happens to you in because if that's if that's what cuts you off from God, if distrust is what cuts you off from God and that's what you ate as a fruit, then everything in your life is now potentially poison. <laughs> and if that's what you're stuck with, then then you lose a fundamental part of life that makes life bearable and meaningful and beautiful and livable and that's that's what i think the genesis narrative about eating from the fruit and and bringing the bringing about the fall means there, there's a disconnect and fear and distrust and suspicion that has poisoned our relationship with how we approach the world and how we approach life, and how we approach each other, and and how we conduct our political and religious discourse, because that's what we do. We become suspicious and and uh, and fearful each of each other, and we think they are all out to get us. And that that poisoned, that has poisoned, and it it has been poisoning us, uh, uh, and all of human history. And and that's why I think you know if you look into these Genesis narratives, it's it's so powerful and, and we've made it, we've so often made it into this like simplistic caricatures that we don't get anything out of it. That's a shame. That's a shame.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Yeah. I think, I think that covers everything in terms of my answers, Uh, uh, questions there. I think you covered all the bases. Uh, Let me just turn it to you though. Is there anything I missed that you think is really important that you want to speak on before we close up or um covered everything
1: well we've been at it for two two and a half hours so if there is then my mind just wouldn't be able to um pick it up Uh, i could say if you're curious uh about all of the stuff that i just sort of briefly mentioned then then i just skimmed over which is pretty much most of what we said today then um uh, check out my podcast. Uh, it's it's a series of "What Do You Mean God Speaks?" Um, and if you're more philosophically minded and you like reading you know, philosophical uh, academic books, then you can also check out my book "God at the Crossroads of Worldviews." Uh, and then you'll be able to get a fuller sense of what I'm what I'm struggling with. That's what I'm doing. I'm I'm struggling with and wrestling with uh, these different ideas and. Uh, what god seems to be speaking and all of that so you can get a sense of what how that's happening uh, by checking out the series so perfect whatever i missed you can find it sort of there or eventually there
0: perfect awesome all right cool well thank you so much for coming on and i'm sorry we went a half an hour over but yeah it it was great Uh, i enjoyed learning from from your perspective on these important issues and topics so yeah um with that said uh have a great week everybody and take care
1: yeah take care